0: Hey everyone, you're listening to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. My name is Andrew, and it is an honor to be with you today. Listen, we are uh, shifting gears for the last 10, 11 weeks-ish. We've been walking through the book of James, and James ends with... um, a beautiful segue to where we are going, starting uh, with this podcast episode. James ends by talking about the power of prayer, um, ministry of healing, the supernatural realities of the kingdom of God in the midst of the people of God on the earth today. And uh, so we are starting today, this is our first week. Uh, We're starting a new series, a new focus, for us that will I don't even know how long this will go, but this is, we're calling this Foundations. And the reason we're calling it Foundations is that we believe these are foundational understandings of Scripture and what it means to uh, follow Jesus, what it means to walk in his kingdom on the earth today so um, this is a whole series called foundations but really our focus point for this series is to talk about the work and uh, role and person of the holy spirit in bringing the kingdom in us and through us on the earth and so uh, today and for the next number of weeks we're going to be talking about the nature of the kingdom what is the kingdom how do we describe it what is the kingdom Jesus talked so much about so much of his emphasis and his concern was on announcing the arrival of the kingdom and we see the Apostles carrying this on in the book of Acts and and throughout and so Today we're talking about what the kingdom is, I'm giving it a definition, hopefully one that will be easy for you to understand and for you to grasp. And um, and we're talking about what it is the Holy Spirit wants to do in us first. As we move through these next few weeks, um, we're going to be shifting from the work of the Spirit in us to bring the kingdom in us to how the Spirit wants to bring the kingdom through us. That'll lead us into conversations um, related to spiritual gifts. We'll, we'll we'll take on the idea within the church, um, these contrasting theological ideas, doctrinal ideas of the cessation of gifts, meaning the ending of gifts, or the continuation of gifts. And um, spoiler alert, we are not cessationists, we are continuationists. We believe that the gifts are still all active and present today. We'll cover, uh, in a few weeks time, we'll cover our reasons scripturally for landing there. Um, and then we'll move into conversation around 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 14. Um, This week, Pastor Brenda is actually talking about the chapter that sandwiches, that is the middle of the sandwich, 1 Corinthians 13, and the reality that our character is more important than our office or the gifts that we're carrying. And so anyway, that's just a bit of a window into where we're going in the next few weeks. I'm recording this just about 24 hours after um, I preached this live in our church in Niagara, Niagara Falls, Canada. And so if you are local to this area and you were a part of that, um, welcome back in. If you are listening to this from outside of our region, we're thankful to be connected with you. So without further ado, I'm going to pass you off to our live recording of this from yesterday. But I want you to know at the end, I have a few things that I want to just add that I think might help clarify a few of the points I made. Talk to you soon. Today, we're shifting gears. So last week, we ended James, and uh, you know if you want to go on some kind of a marathon, you can go back and listen to those podcasts. There's 10 in that series. Um, today, we're shifting gears, and we're talking about um, something new. And this series, we've just called it Foundations. These are foundational principles for life in the kingdom and the foundational reality of the Holy Spirit's role in your life and my life and in the kingdom, expressing the kingdom of God on the earth. These are things that for us are not just sort of uh, ancillary, like out there sort of things. These are the very core of what we believe. And uh, we started this series back in the fall, and we started talking about um, sort of God's, uh, the nature of God's role in the universe even, and what Scripture tells us about God's role in the cosmos and in our lives individually. You could go back and listen to that, but the very short Coles notes of that, is that our world is both spiritual and material. And that those two worlds, the spiritual realm and the material are interwoven together. They're not siloed and separate. God is the creator of both of them. So the natural world, we don't, we don't hold a Platonic view of the natural world that says that the natural is evil and God is looking to discard it. The natural is not. God created it. And just as a reminder, eternity with God is not some sort of esoteric spiritual reality. We will be grounded In flesh and blood, heavenly bodies on the earth, ruling and reigning with Christ for eternity. Heaven is not something out there. Right now it is. But when Jesus returns, when he comes back to inaugurate the fullness of his kingdom on the earth and restore the heart of God, we go back to Genesis 1 and 2. Now, I don't think we go back to prehistoric, like we're going to live in caves. That's just my personal opinion. But our eternal life, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are living in eternity right now. Eternity is not what happens when you pass on your deathbed from this life to the next. You are living in eternity. And for eternity, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will be ruling and reigning on a physical earth with a physical Jesus. For eternity, At that point, the spiritual and the natural will come into perfect union. It won't be something different. It will be what God always intended. That we cooperate with the heart of God to see the goodness of his presence flourish on the earth. That's sort of the Coles notes of what we talked about last week. So as a church, we're not deists. So we don't believe that there was a creator God who created the earth and then sort of like punted it out into into the cosmos and then drew back and said, okay, the earth is only going to run on mechanical laws of physics and thermodynamics and all of that stuff. Of course, the Earth functions, our universe functions with natural, created laws, but those don't function outside of the influence and interaction of God in it. Our world, your life, my life, the reality of the cosmos, is not that we are just a function of natural laws that are just running like a clock without God's interaction. I think we said something like this. We are relentlessly intertwined with the spiritual realm. That's our reality. That's our reality. That's what I believe scripture teaches. That the spiritual world and the natural world are interwoven together. And that the Holy Spirit has a role now in establishing in your life and on the earth now, establishing the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, bringing his kingdom to bear on more and more of this earth. There's this tension that we live in as well. And this tension is found in scripture. And I don't know actually fully how to answer it, um, but there's this tension. Yes, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We know that from Scripture. This earth is owned by God. Jesus made it. The earth is the Lord and everything in it, yet there is a ruler in this world, Satan. Jesus called him the ruler of this world. He is active and present to bring bondage and death wherever he can. Jesus came to give life and life to the fullest. So, yes, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But the earth is under the legal rulership of the kingdom of darkness right now. That's what we gave up in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve. That's what we relinquished. We were created with God to have authority and dominion on the earth on his behalf. But when we came into agreement with Satan in the kingdom of darkness, we gave up that right. And the earth was then bound under the leadership of a ruler. It's not owned by Satan, but it's ruled by him. Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3, talk about these three primary aspects that we always have to keep in the front of our mind, these three things that are opposing God on the earth, your own flesh, my flesh, the world, meaning the systems of thought, the prevailing thought, um, the, the, the major influences and idea, the cultural tides that are flowing on the earth so our flesh is opposed to God and his kingdom the world systems if you're German the word is zeitgeist and three Satan and the kingdom of darkness are actually present and active at work you know when I pray like the way I do every Sunday before it's I'm not talking to you I'm talking to the spiritual realm that is present For some of you, that may feel like a really weird thing to do, but it's just as real as my skin and bones. And because I'm a follower of Jesus, because I walk under his anointing and his authority, I have authority. And for now, because he's granted me the privilege of serving you and his body in this context, he's given me authority in this place to pray that way. So I'm not asking God to do something for us that I have the authority and the calling to actually just speak directly to and do. That's just why I pray that way. And I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to those spirits that are here and present. I don't always know what they are, but I work with the general assumption that a good chunk of you right now are battling demonic stuff. And this church, any church, is not some bubble. Like just because we sing worship songs, it doesn't mean that, oh, the enemy's got to flee. You know, even when David would minister to Saul, Saul would experience peace for a moment, but those evil spirits would come back. And so Jesus, we'll talk about it. He's given us the keys of the kingdom, he's given us authority. And so even when I model praying like that, that's not, that's not like an Andrew prayer. That's the way you should be praying over your family and over the reality of your world and your life, whatever it looks like from a week-to-week basis. Why? Because the spiritual and the natural are interwoven together. And we can't separate them. Scripture doesn't separate them. It combines them. So, what we're called to do, and we'll talk about this over the next weeks, is to follow, to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. And we're called to walk in a greater awareness of the reality of the kingdom of God all around us. You're called to walk in both natural and spiritual places on a daily basis. Why don't we stand again just for your aerobic instruction? I'm going to read some scripture. And uh, this is my version of doing squats. You can sit and stand a few times. All right. not sure if God gave me the gift of humor or if I just use it at my own discretion. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to read to you from Acts 1. We are, uh, you know, Easter was a few weeks ago. So in a timetable kind of frame of mind and reference, we are living right now, we're in these 40 days between Easter and Pentecost, and that's where Acts 1 picks up. So I'm going to read this to you uh, this morning. Of course, Luke was the author of Acts, and this is Luke writing. He says, In my first book, that would be the book of Luke, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is operating on the earth through the Holy Spirit. That's a huge key insight. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways, that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once while he was eating with them, he commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem until a father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, Lord, Has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Interesting note. That's a different question. They're asking for a different response than Jesus teaching the kingdom. They're asking, when are you politically going to restore Israel and our kingdom? That's a different conversation than the one Jesus is trying to have with them. He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know. That's also an interesting thing. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. So Jesus ascended as a human being Jesus didn't change shape or form back into his pre-human form. As a human man, Jesus ascended to heaven. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? I just feel like that's... Jesus asked me, like, what are you doing, Andrew? Why are you just staring at that stuff so blankly? Anyway, Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. So as we begin to talk about these foundations, the place that we need to start is where Jesus starts. And that's Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Those are two sort of interchangeable phrases that Jesus uses. Did you know that over a hundred times in the Gospels, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God? By far and away, the primary message of Jesus to us is about the kingdom. Much more than your personal salvation, much more than anything else, Jesus is announcing the reality of the kingdom. So here are a couple of key points that I want to try to make today. And uh, just for clarity so that you remember these. Key point number one, our definition of the kingdom of heaven It's not geographic. It's not some sort of ethereal thing. The kingdom of heaven is the place where the will of God is done. So the kingdom of heaven in your life and in my life is the place where we come into alignment with the heart of God and the purposes of God are fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is present when you say, yes, Lord, no enemy, no to my flesh, no to like the pressure of whatever is going on. When you say, yes, God, I will step in faithfulness to you right now. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is present. Another way to say it would be the kingdom of heaven is the place where the effective will of God is accomplished. So this is what Jesus talks about in the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your what? Your will be done. The kingdom of God is the place where obedience to God is being walked out. So it's not some weird sort of ethereal kind of hard to understand thing. The kingdom of God is present in your life when you respond in obedience and faithfulness to the conviction of the Holy Spirit when you are faced with the opportunity to step into habitual sin or to resist it and reject it, when you're faced with that, you're faced with the option to walk in one or another kingdom. Am I gonna walk in agreement and alignment with the kingdom of this world, with the kingdom of Satan, or am I gonna walk in agreement with the kingdom of God? So key, key point number one, as a definition, the kingdom of God is the place where the will and the heart of God is done. This is what Jesus models and what Jesus teaches. Second main idea here is God wants to bring the kingdom in you before he brings the kingdom through you. And you may say, well, yeah, I, 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 pr- I prayed a prayer. I surrendered my life to Jesus. You know, I, I have my, my entry pass into heaven. I have all that stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the active daily reality of yielding your life, your anger, your frustration, your sexual urges and impulses, your selfishness and consumeristic heart and mentality, your materialism and your pursuit of wealth and comfort, your areas of control and manipulation, the fear you walk in, the anxiety, all of that stuff, daily bringing that under the leadership of Jesus and submitting your pride Your self-righteousness and your vanity and all of these things, submitting them to the leadership of Jesus and inviting him to kill them in your life. That's what it means for the kingdom to come in us. The kingdom was meant to be experienced and felt and lived. Jesus never intended for us to only theologize, and intellectualize the kingdom. He called us to live in it and walk in it and cultivate it. So the kingdom is the place where the will of God is done. And the place God wants to start his work of the kingdom through the Holy Spirit is in your inner life. It's in your heart. We talked a lot about that in James. Jesus says it this way. In Matthew 6, this was one of the verses that my dad, I remember him quoting this so often. I don't know if it was your favorite verse, but he quoted it so often. Some of you know it already. Jesus says, seek first, what? The kingdom of God. What is the kingdom? It's the active place where the will of God is done. So what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? It means that you look for the heart of God in every area of your life. To seek first, it's like looking for your keys that you've lost to your car. You start, what do you do? You go to every nook and cranny of your house. You turn over every, you know, pile of laundry and whatever it is, you, you're looking through the toys that your kids have left out all over the place, just saying, and you're, you're looking everywhere for those keys. And God is, Jesus is saying, when he says, seek first the kingdom of God, he's saying, in your life, Go to every single place in your heart, every desire, every hope, every dream, every area of stronghold and sin, every place. And look, God, where is your heart in this? How do I bring this area of my life into alignment with you? How do I be obedient to you here? How do I establish your will and your heart over mine? That's what it means to seek the kingdom. It's to look for it everywhere. God, there's no place that I'm going to siphon off and keep separate from you. I'm not keeping my sexuality separate from you. I'm not keeping my finances separate from you. I'm not keeping my workplace separate from you. I'm not keeping my social friendship circle separate from you. In every place that I walk, Father, how do I come into agreement with what you would say about this? Every area of my character, every defect in my character, every area of weakness that I experience. God, what is your desire? What do you want to do in this area? I submit to you my pride. And I'm wanting your kingdom to come in those areas of hardness in my heart my vanity and my self-interest, my pursuit of pleasure and living for the moment and trying to gain everything I can from a worldly perspective, trying to accumulate wealth or, or attention or, or prestige or make a name for myself in some way. Father, would your kingdom come? Would you speak a better word to me over those things? So key question number one. What are those areas going on in a deep heart and soul kind of way in your life? That if you were to ask God, would your kingdom come? If you were to say, God, I I want to be in alignment with you. Would you just reveal to me areas of my heart and my character that are misaligned? That's seeking the kingdom of God. Saying, God, my desire is to walk and step with you. So there's nothing I won't give you permission. There's nothing I won't give you permission to speak into. And when God speaks into our life, when the Holy Spirit speaks into our life to bring correction, it's not to shame. It's not to beat you down. It's not to remind you of your failures and your disappointments and that you're a that's not the the purpose of the holy spirit's light in our life is to actually bring freedom from those places of wounding and bondage and trauma and pain. It's the light that makes you free, not hiding in darkness. So the kingdom of God is the place where the will of God is done. And the place he wants to begin in you and me is the Holy Spirit's work in our heart and our soul. The desire of the Holy Spirit is to form you and I from the inside out into the image of Christ. We're going to talk about that Um, Pastor Brenda next week, and then Alex. We're going to talk about this over the coming weeks. Eventually, we're going to get to talk about spiritual gifts and how God wants to bring the kingdom through you. But we're not starting there because that's not where the Holy Spirit starts in us. He starts with that stuff that's going on in us, and he says, hey, I want to put my finger on this area, Andrew, of your life. And I want to bring my kingdom into that place of your heart. Here's another little story if you want to turn with me to 1 Samuel 23. This was something I was reading this week in my just normal morning time routine. And I feel like um, the Holy Spirit was just speaking to me about how this actually connects in and ties in. With what we're talking about, I'm gonna read the larger section and then we'll just key in on what's going on. So, contextually, this is David and Saul. David has, um, so Saul has disobeyed God already and the kingdom has been stripped from him and his family line. God has said, you know what, I'm grieved that I even put Saul there as king. He's not walked in obedience to me. He's not walked in my kingdom. So God takes that from Saul and his family line, and Samuel anoints David as a teenager. David is the seventh son, the young runt kind of of the litter. And uh, David is anointed king, but not in a public way, It's kind of a private thing because Saul technically is still king. David goes on to kill Goliath. Saul brings him into his service, and then things begin to shift. Saul begins to perceive David as a threat, as a threat. And so David flees, and he starts hiding in caves. He's on the run from Saul. And that's kind of where we join up with things. We're in the middle of this this cat and mouse kind of chase through the wilderness. So 1 Samuel 23, I think verse 13. So David and his men, about 600 of them now. And these were not just as like, these were not like the elite military men of Israel. These were, to be crass, the losers, (laughs) Like, they're not, like, the strong, like, David, we're the top warriors. We're the special forces in Saul's army. No, 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 no. These are, like, the guys who are, like, hey, I, I ripped off this guy, and so I'm on the run. Can I hang out with you for a while, right? The thieves and the robbers and, like, the dis- this is the dysfunctional crowd that's hard to love. That's who David has, right? Um, so there's, like, a whole bunch of them, 600 of them, and they left... Uh, Keilah, and began roaming the countryside. They had had nowhere to go, nowhere to stake uh, roots. Word soon reached Saul that David had escaped, so he didn't go to Keilah. After all, David now stayed in the strongholds of the wilderness and in the hill country of Ziph. Saul hunted him day after day, but God didn't let Saul find him. The strongholds were caves. It was a cave system in the mountainous region that David was in. One day near Horish, David received the news that Saul was on the way to Ziph, to search for him and kill him. Jonathan, that's Saul's son, went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You're going to be the king of Israel And I'll be next to you as my father Saul is well aware. So Saul knows. He knows what the heart of God is. He knows already. And here's part of the big problem in Saul's life. He knows the heart of God for his life and for the Israelites. But he's determined to walk his own way. He's determined to hold power for himself. He's determined through human initiative to bulldoze his will and impose his will on not only his family, but the entire nation. And so he's chasing David down. So the two of them, David and Jonathan, uh, renewed their solemn pact before the Lord. Then Jonathan returned home while David stayed in Horish. But now the men of Ziph went to Saul and Gibeah and betrayed David to him. We know where David's hiding, they said. He's in the strongholds of Horish, on the hill of Hilkiah, which is in the southern part of Jeshimon. Come down whenever you're ready, O king, and we'll catch him and hand him over to you. The Lord, I love this reply of Saul. This is so, this is, like, let's be honest. This is how we reply when things go our way. And we like what we're hearing from other people. The Lord bless you, Saul said. Just so pleased that you came and ratted out David to me. At last, I, this too, man. At last someone is concerned about me. Ha! <laughs> How many times have I thought that in my marriage? Finally, Rochelle, you're showing care for me. And she always does, much more than I acknowledge. But in our selfishness, especially when we're walking in defiance to God, everything is tainted and skewed. In our defiance of God, when we walk in defiance to God, We walk as a perpetual victim of everything. Everybody's out to get me. Nobody likes me. Nobody's defending me. Does anybody even care? When you are walking, when you are walking in the kingdom with the king, you are never a victim. You are never a victim. You're not a victim of circumstances. You're not a victim of culture. You're not a victim of this person or that person or the other person. When you're walking in agreement, in alignment with Jesus in his kingdom, you're never a victim. You could be beat and persecuted. You could even lose your life and you're still not a victim. Why? Because you're walking in the security of the love and the purpose and the heart of the Father. Saul has made himself a victim. And because he's been defiant against God, that victim mentality is clouding his judgment and his discernment of everything. So Saul goes on to say, hey, you know, I'm coming with my guys. Find the hiding place. Come get me when you are sure, Saul says. Then I'll go with you. And if he's in that area at all, I'll track him down. Even if I have to search every hiding place in Judah. So the men of Ziph returned home ahead of Saul. Meanwhile, David and his men had moved into the wilderness of Maon in the Araba Valley south of Jeshimon. When David heard that Saul and his men were searching for him, he went even further into the wilderness, to the great rock, and he remained there in the wilderness of Maon. But Saul kept after him in the wilderness. So here's the key few verses I want to just leave with you as a point in this. What happens? when we move outside of and away from the will of God in an internal place, when we are defiant in the spaces of our heart and soul to God, this is what happens. Saul and David were now on opposite sides of a mountain. Just as Saul and his men began to close in on David and his men, an urgent message reached Saul that the Philistines were raiding Israel again. So Saul quit chasing David and returned to fight the Philistines. Here's what I just felt like the Spirit was speaking to me. And there's, this is application for my own life. Maybe it will have application for yours. I'm not sure. I think there's application here. Here's what I felt the Spirit saying. When you are not walking in step with the Spirit in the inner places of your life, you start fighting the wrong battles. The wrong things become threats to you and the right things, sorry, the right things become threats to you and the wrong things become the pursuit of your life. So, what does Saul do? He's so consumed. He's so consumed out of his insecurity and his inability to to receive the heart of God for his life. He's so consumed that he starts chasing David. He's dedicating resources and time and energy to hunt down a kid who's not his enemy. And when you and I are not walking in step with the Spirit, when we're not walking in agreement with what he's calling out in our life, our pride, our insecurity, our self-righteousness, our anger, control, lust, you name it, when we're not walking in agreement with what the Spirit says about that, we begin to perceive the friendly people in our life as our enemy, and we begin to commit our time and energy and resources into fighting battles that God has never called us to fight. When we do that, we leave the back door open for the enemy to come in. So while Saul is chasing down a fake enemy, the real enemy comes in the back door and starts stealing and killing and destroying the people. And your families and my family suffer because as men and women of God, we're not fighting the right battles. And we're leaving the back door wide open for the enemy to come in and steal and kill and destroy in our families. And we're busy trying to protect our image. We're busy trying to assert our control. We're busy trying to be right about everything to everyone. And we're leaving the back door open and the enemy is rushing in and his heart is to kill and destroy. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about your family. He'll take advantage of anything that you do. So the heart of God is that we begin to be honest about what's going on inside, to come into agreement with what the Holy Spirit is convicting us of, the areas of our life that we are resistant to God and those areas where we're resisting humility. Rochelle and I had this big argument a week and a half ago And in the middle of this argument, I don't, maybe for the first time ever, in the middle of it, I actually said out loud because I felt like I needed to. I said, honey, I don't know if I used the word honey, but I said, Rochelle, I'm not sure. I said, in my heart right now, I am filled with pride and stubbornness and I don't want, I don't want to give you compassion. I don't want you to be right. Whatever it is I said, I acknowledged that in my heart, the things going on were in opposition to the character of the kingdom of God, which is humility and gentleness and grace and mercy and patience and forgiveness and long-suffering, all of those things. Those were not in my heart. And I needed to acknowledge before God and before my wife, hey, I'm, I'm struggling here. I don't even right now, I don't even want to kind of mend this because of the pride and self righteousness that's going on in my heart. It's actually in that act of confession, which is just being honest that the Holy Spirit has room to come in then and begin to kind of dismantle those strongholds and those walls that we build. So my choice in that moment is the same that you face and I face every day. Which kingdom are we going to serve and walk in alignment with? The kingdom of the enemy, which says, no, stand your ground, Andrew. Be right. Make sure the other person knows it. Make sure that you inflict some damage so that they know, you know that you've been hurtful or whatever it is. Or am I gonna walk in alignment with the kingdom of God which says humble yourself before the Lord and he'll lift you up. Which says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. If you don't resist him, he's not going anywhere. And I feel like part of the word that the Holy Spirit wants to communicate to us today is many of us, many of us, are fighting the wrong battles. We're chasing the wrong person, the wrong thing. We're going after the wrong things. And the invitation of Jesus is one of compassion and mercy and kindness to say, "Hey, There's some stuff I want to keep doing in your heart and in your soul. That's why we're running Soul Care Conference in June. I want want to deeply challenge you to make it a priority to be there. It's a conference that will reignite your spiritual hunger and longing for Jesus. It's a conference dedicated to renewal and confronting the stuff in us that is blocking the purposes and plans of God for you. He has a calling and assignment on your life Don't be a Saul and start chasing the wrong things and leave the back door open for the enemy in your family. He's calling you to fight the right battles. And those are not external battles. He's calling you to fight on the spiritual battlefield of the cosmos. We've talked about this before many times. There's a contrast in Jesus's life. I heard one pastor say it um, this week in a a Zoom call I was on, Jesus, meek and violent. (laughs) The violence of Jesus was not human violence directed at people. He was violent in spiritual places. Jesus went to war in spiritual places and he walked in gentleness and compassion and mercy and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control to others. Our problem is that we're violent toward people with our words or our actions and we're wimps in the spiritual realm. We just, we, we just, we just bend our will to the enemy. Like here, you, yep, yep. And Jesus is inviting you to be formed into his image. And that image is that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's a spiritual lion, but he's also the lamb. Start fighting the right battles. And the right battles are the ones taking place in your heart and in your soul for ground in your life. The right battles to fight are in heavenly places. Why? So that you can bring the kingdom of God to bear in your life and eventually on the earth around you. That's, I think, what the heart of God is for us. I want to end with this. Matthew chapter 10 Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them what? He gave them authority. We believe as a church that that authority did not end with the death of the last apostle. You and I, if you are a follower of Jesus, you carry this divine authority. The question is, are you cultivating it? Are you using it? Are you building it? Are you exercising it? You have this authority. And what was that authority for? To cast out evil spirits and heal every kind of disease and illness. He goes through the names. Then Jesus continues on. Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. And this is what Jesus commanded them to do. And this is also a call and a commandment on our lives. Go and announce to them, what? That the kingdom of heaven is near. So what are the markers of that kingdom? What what kinds of things should we expect to begin to see when we're walking in alignment with the kingdom of God, when the effective will of God is being done in our life? Go and announce the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Those are four markers of the presence of the kingdom of God. Why? Because those are the very things that unwind the destructive force of the kingdom of darkness on the earth. Those are the very things that bring restoration and peace and order to a broken and dark world. I was this morning just meditating on this, and I, I just felt like the, God was speaking to me a little bit about, like, so I was asking him, why, why, Jesus, did you say, like, heal the sick, and then lepers get their own kind of different thing there? Like, they would be categorized as people with physical illness, Right? and 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 this probably isn't all of it but i just sense the spirit saying because lepers were the outcasts of society they were the marginalized the leper was the one who lived with incredible shame incredible shame and brokenness incredible shame and isolation It wasn't just a physical illness that they were struggling with. They were the ones that were thrown outside of community life. In the first century, when a leper was present, they had to, with their own voice, cry out, leper, leper, so that everyone around them would know. Everyone. And here Jesus comes onto the scene, and instead of running from them, he goes toward them. He's not afraid of those areas of brokenness and shame that you carry in your life. And I feel like this is in part Jesus saying, I don't only want to heal your physical needs. I want to heal those areas of wounding and shame and rejection that you've experienced at a heart level. I want to bring healing and restoration to those. Why? So that you can walk in the fullness of the kingdom. Carry out the divine calling and assignment that God has for your life. The foundations of your life and my life are that the kingdom of God would come in us. God calls it and us to be people that the kingdom of God flows through, and we'll get there. But I feel like I just, I want to call you today to be a man or a woman be a man or woman who begins to fight the right battles. Go to war in spiritual places for those strongholds you're carrying, those strongholds of lust and anger and control, greed and envy and pride and self-righteousness and bitterness and jealousy and, you know, whatever they are, go to war against those. Bring, and I say this like emphatically, Bring the kingdom to bear in those places of your life. I don't sit by and go, oh no, you know, another day and I just, I failed. No, in the name of Jesus, I resist you, spirit of pride. I'm not going down without a fight. I resist you. I command you to go now and release me. It's written, God opposes the proud, but I want to walk in agreement with the Spirit of God, so I command you to go now. I break every bond that I've formed with you, every agreement I've made with you, I cancel it now in the name of Jesus. Get out of here. That's going to war in spiritual places. And then I ask the Holy Spirit to fill me with humility in his presence so that I can respond to my children with greater measures of gentleness. So that I'm not such a moron to my wife. I don't think she would call me that, but I'm just, that's just the word that came to my mind. Love you, honey. All right, let's stand together. I want to just pray for us and... The greatest concern on the heart of Jesus was to announce the reality of his kingdom. And I think the greatest concern on the heart of Jesus for your life today is to announce the reality of his kingdom in the places of brokenness and resistance and pain and wounding and bondage to sin that are in your life. The greatest news of the kingdom of God and the rule and reign of Jesus is that it is not only for when you die the greatest news of the kingdom of God and the reality of Jesus is that he came to bring the kingdom here and now Jesus can change your life he can and he can heal and restore and renew he can bind up the brokenhearted. He can walk with you into freedom from those things you're in bondage to. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you. I just ask, Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Would you come right now, Holy Spirit, and make Jesus irresistibly beautiful? Again, in the name of Jesus, I cancel the blinding effects of the enemy of God that distort and disfigure the reality of Jesus Christ for those that are here. In the name of Jesus, those who are resistant to the work of Jesus, those who feel like Jesus is a waste of time, like like this, everything we've talked about today is just a complete waste of time, I ask Holy Spirit that you wouldn't move in judgment, that you would actually move in mercy and in compassion and move into those places of resistance and disbelief. We ask Holy Spirit that you would teach us to carry greater measures of the presence of our King with us, I ask Holy Spirit for each one here that you would uh, put in us a heart of faithfulness and obedience. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would release in this place even right now, that you would release a spirit of faithfulness and obedience, that you would release into every human heart, whether they want it or not, whether they think they need it or not, the spirit of faithfulness that Jesus walked with a spirit of obedience. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would allow us, each person here, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would allow us to hear your voice. Would you allow us to hear your voice? Would you open ears that have been closed for too long? Would you bring revelation and insight? Allow us to hear you, Holy Spirit, and allow us to begin to cultivate life with you in a new way. Allow us to hear you direct us according to the heart of the Father, which is good. Father, for those walking in a season of loneliness, I just ask for the reality of the abiding presence of Jesus to fill every one of those spaces, those places of loss and grieving. Jesus I invite you into them there's nothing I can do or our church can do to fill that space and so Jesus you are filled with compassion and mercy so those that are grieving today and who have lost I just I, I just command in the name of Jesus that spirit of life and hope the presence of Jesus into the middle of that and father we just ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth, in our lives, in our hearts, in our soul, as it is in heaven. Teach us to look for you everywhere this week. Help us, Holy Spirit. Help us to walk in step with the heart of God. Break addictions. Addictions to pornography. Addictions to money. Holy Spirit, would you bring the kingdom and the fullness of Jesus Christ this week? Amen. Okay, so I have just a few additional thoughts for you to help bring this even closer to home. I think as I talk about, you know, these areas of defiance and disobedience in Saul's heart and life. What I'm really talking about is number one, Saul's disobedience, his willful disobedience to ignore God's leadership and direction. Um, That's actually going back a number of chapters in 1 Samuel, where Saul was instructed uh, to kill, um, you know, the whole Amalekite region, city, all the warriors, like everything. And instead Saul kills um, the men, but he keeps the best of their animals and the best of their wealth for himself. And when challenged on that, when Samuel comes and says, what are you doing? You've disobeyed the Lord. Saul gives a religious excuse. He said, I saved these so that I could sacrifice them to the Lord. Now that's just a total bogus thing. But again, often we use spiritual stuff to try and excuse ourselves from walking in obedience to God. So the Saul's heart um, and his, his inner life was um, marked by disobedience. The other stuff I think going on probably in Saul that was a defiant and disobedient uh, to the voice of the Spirit were things like pride and vanity. Image management. Saul was more concerned with how he appeared to those around him than with the things that he had done that grieved the Spirit of God. Saul also was, um, he was concerned with holding and uh, maintaining worldly power and influence. So Saul does not want the monarchy stripped from his family line. He does not want David to be king instead of his own son, Jonathan. And so I think in Saul's heart, the things that Saul is not going to war against, the things that he is not Uh, renouncing and rejecting and killing are those things like pride and vanity, image management, desire for control, a desire for power, a desire for influence, a desire for um, to be uh, respected, a desire to appear a certain way before others. And so again, these are all external things. So instead of waging war against those, Saul starts looking to kill the wrong things in his life. He's looking to kill David, who is not his enemy, instead of these things going on in in his heart and in his soul, which are the enemy. And uh, the connection point, where this relates to Jesus and his kingdom and the need for the kingdom to come in us before it moves through us, in power and authority um, is this. I just, I wrote this down um, last week. When the kingdom of Jesus comes, it provokes a confrontation with the kingdoms of this world, with our own flesh and with the kingdom of darkness, with Satan's kingdom. Often we get distracted and deceived into fighting battles around us and outside of us instead of going to war to bring his kingdom in us. So again, that's going to war against pride, lust, self-righteousness, fear, greed, anger, murder, uh, comfort (laughs) in our culture, comfort, and anything else that stands in the way of the will and the heart of God. So again, God's kingdom is the place where His will is done. It's the effective range of His will. So just to kind of bring this to a conclusion, last week as I was journaling about this in uh, one of my morning, just times of quietness with God, I said this just to end, like Saul, we can easily find ourselves fighting the wrong battles. Instead of going to war against ungodly character and desire in our heart, and attitudes and actions. We go to war against the people and places that we feel threatened by, which often are not truly a threat. They're only a threat to our pride. They're only a threat to our insecurity. They're only a threat to our identity that's rooted in all of the wrong places. They're only a threat to our control. They're only a threat to our need for power and dominance, all of these things. So the result, when we do this, we give all of our attention and our energy and our resources and our emotional energy. We give all of that over into the wrong places. And we leave the back door open for the enemy to come in and steal and kill and destroy the real things. That um, that we love and care about, and so I just I want to encourage you again today with this um, that God wants to bring the kingdom to bear in your character and in your life, so that when He works through you in the power of the Spirit, your character. And your heart and soul, your inner life can sustain greater measures of responsibility and authority and kingdom power to bring the kingdom to those around you. Often, what we see in the church, what we see in the newspapers, what we see, you know, the headlines of the failures uh, of prominent leaders of people that you look at in one season and go, man, they're powerfully anointed. How do those people fail? Often it's because they don't have the inner life, the character and heart posture before God that can sustain the work of the Spirit through them in power and authority. And so our heart is that you develop an inner life with God, the inner character and heart that is able to sustain greater measures of the Holy Spirit's anointing and power through you without uh, destroying you. And so I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week for part two in this Foundations series.